0: Welcome back to Presidents in Politics. I am one of your hosts, uh, Professor Caleb McGee, joined by former Congressman Ross, our other host. And today we are jumping into the sixth president of the United States, John Quincy Adams. Interesting man. Yes. You know, uh, the first of the uh, the founding
1: fathers' uh, offspring mm-hmm. to, uh, to to become president. Probably the last of the founding fathers' <laughs> offspring to True. become president. But um, unique guy. Uh, they all were very unique. Yes. And, and, and he came about... You know, you understand his father lost an election, a re-election mm-hmm. to Thomas Jefferson that was mm-hmm. very um, uh, hard divided, very hard fought. Mm-hmm. But this man comes in with a, a deep history of political networking. I yep. mean, he, he uh, I believe it was uh, Washington that appointed him to, what, the minister mm-hmm. of the Netherlands or of something? Of the Netherlands, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, when his father's president, he appoints him to the uh, ambassador to Prussia, which mm-hmm. is you know today's Germany. Mm-hmm. And he, he works in just about every administration and was very influential with crafting the Monroe Doctrine. Yes, under, and buying Florida. And buying Florida, and under, Florida. under James Monroe mm-hmm. when he was president. So the, here's a guy that uh, that w- I think always knew he was destined to be president. At least yeah. that's what he, he – He believed. He believed. yes. Uh, like a lot of our founding fathers, that you pointed out, the, you know, John Quincy Adams was predominantly self-educated, yes. but very well educated. Very
0: well educated, and I
1: guess he spoke five languages. I think he spoke
0: I'd... Russian, mm-hmm. French, Italian, Latin, and Greek. <laughs> yeah, so five, <laughs> five languages. And he did this by the age of fourteen. <laughs> by the age of fourteen, he could speak five languages. He's yeah. actually translating for his father as a secretary at the age of fourteen. Isn't that amazing? And then look at the uh, the immaturity of our of our youth today. I mean, oh, we talk about the delayed adolescence of America, but that can really be seen.
1: Well, think about today. They're not even teaching cursive writing. No. How does one sign their name? What That's, does a signature look like if you don't know how to write in cursive with writing? It's printed with a squiggle. I don't know. I don't, it's a,
0: just an X, I guess, yes. from you know, just re- reverting back. Which this, this brings up an interesting point, And one thing I wanted to bring up is John Quincy Adams is only one of two Presidents who had a father who was a president. Yes. And it's interesting for a few reasons. First of all, you would think with the idea of monarchy, with the idea of hereditary leadership, this would happen more often. However, history usually bears out, also this with my classes, history bears out that really great men and great women usually have sorry kids. Yes. that's an interesting thought. Like, I, I don't know really why that is. Is it because um, they had life too easy? Is it because they were in too big of a shadow? I'm not sure what it is that produces that. But I, I think it's the latter. I think it's okay. the shadow okay. that that
1: that the next generation lives under, and and they just don't feel competent uh, mm. or capable enough to to to, to live that life. Uh, and and I, I I see that happening uh, to some. You know, you look at some of the great people, you know, uh, the the, the Roosevelt's, the Eisenhower's, you know, uh, some of them do well, uh, even Lincoln's son, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, but that's a pretty high bar to achieve. (laughs) I mean, the odds of of being president are incredibly, you know, difficult. And then to be the son of a president who becomes president is even, you know, more remote in terms of, of the chances. And it has happened in the United States twice, of mm-hmm. course, with, with John Adams and um, his son and, and George Bush and his son. Mm-hmm. But
0: um, Both named after their father. It's an interesting yes. coincidence, by the way. Yes. Um, the only times it happened, they they were namesake carriers. One of the things I thought about is the idea of being intentional with, with, with parenting. And one of the things that John Adams Senior did with John Quincy Adams was he made him part of his his uh, campaign and part of his work early on. Yes. In fact, at the age of ten, John Adams Senior takes John Quincy Adams to France yes. with him. Yeah. Um, it's one of the places he learns French very early on, and it was a very arduous journey. Uh, the ship was actually yes. struck by lightning. I don't yeah, know if you hear this or I, not on the way? I read
1: that in the uh, David McCullough book yes. about, uh, John Adams. it. Yeah about that the ship
0: is struck by lightning four crew members are killed it's attacked by a british ship they get stuck in like a a hurricane and all these kind of hardships you're gonna love it exactly it's great it's an easy road isn't it um but it kind of is like these hardships it kind of crafts him and john adams senior speaking about this made this statement i wanted to give the boy international experience and provide a second generation of enlightened leadership in the u.s wow I want to give a a second generation of enlightened leadership. I like that. He was very intentional in the way that he he brought his son along with him. And maybe that's why he ended up becoming president and a leader. Now, John Quincy Adams, he's not quite as successful with his children. He has four. right? uh, And two of those sons become alcoholics. And
1: then I guess one dies at birth and he has three daughters that die. And then
0: one son is, we're not sure, it's mysterious, probably died of suicide. They, They think that he jumped off of a bridge. And he was named for the namesake of George Washington. Right. Which John, Ad- John Adams Sr. is kind of angry about, he's kind of gets ticked off about it because he, you know, names his grandson after George Washington instead of him. And he's always lived in the shadow of George Washington anyway. So there's this whole kind of drama, you know, like soap opera thing going yes. on here. Um, but John Quincy Adams is a very interesting man. It is. It, but I think what's really interesting, you know, we talk about divine intervention. And, yes, or coincidence. The providential however, hand. Yeah, yes.
1: However you want to look at this. But here is a guy that is the first generation of the founding fathers and becomes the first president of... After the last founding father, that the president. is cool, and, and and you just wonder if the stage wasn't set, uh, you know, to, to make that transition mm. again for 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 John Quincy Adams to be the bridge for the next generation to come through. Now his his um, his his presidency was marred with uh, <laughs> um, controversy, the corrupt, the, the corrupt deal, the, the corrupt bargain, the corrupt yes, the know, corrupt bargain. But I think that was the last time. And correct me if I'm wrong, that was the last time that the House of Representatives had to. Um, uh, elect a
0: president? It's, yes. Off the top of my head, I believe you're correct on that. And, it's and come close a few times, though. Oh, it's come uh, close. Very close. And there's been you know, talk of that happening in our recent uh, past as well. So, Yeah, when
1: I was in the legislature uh, in 2000, I was elected in 2000 to the Florida legislature, which was the Bush v. Gore debacle. Okay. And yes. the and center familiar. of the political universe was in Tallahassee, Florida, and mm-hmm. it was up to us. We had, to, you know, to, to find out whether those hanging chads or pregnant chads <laughs> would justify the voters' intent to determine who was going to be the next president yes. because our, our body of electoral votes was the one that was going to make the decision. And here we are in the legislature. We can't, the, the secretary of state can't certify the results. It's in litigation, both in the United States Supreme Court and the state Supreme Court. And we're going into the into special session to uh, pass a, a, a resolution appointing a slate of electors. Mm. And, and, then, and, and, and if we didn't do that, if we didn't do that, then not necessarily would it go to the Congress, but but we our votes wouldn't be counted, and we there was no way Florida was going to not have their votes counted. Absolutely. But, um, if if it was a tie, um, then of course the House of Representatives would have decided. And oh. that was the last time when John Quincy Adams was elected, and he 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 gets elected. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, Andrew Jackson gets the most votes. Yes. And, and the popular vote. Popular and electoral vote. Yeah, popular. Both. Yes. And but <laughs> not a majority. No. And so therefore it goes, and then Henry Clay is Speaker of the House. Yes. Yes. You know, throws his, his support behind John Quincy Adams and Jackson starts these rumors yes. that Henry Clay
0: is going to be secretary of state. and Which, in all honesty, Clay was a very competent guy. He was good at what he did. He just got kind of hung up in the midst of this. Yeah, I wrote down the exact number. So John Quincy Adams only got 113,000 of the popular vote. Wow. Only 113,000. So to put that in perspective, uh, for Florida, what, we had like uh, 4.5 million that voted for DeSantis in the last election? Which, granted, we have to to realize the population difference between, you know, 1824 versus now. It's true. But still, when you look at the amount of numbers that were truly voted, that's one of the reasons why he is so, I don't want to use the term unpopular, because he had some decent policies, but he has a hard time getting support. Both in Congress and among the general
1: populace. And, and you, that that's interesting because he was the driving force behind many of the policies that preceded him. Yes. The Louisiana Purchase. Absolutely. The Monroe Doctrine. Yes. Uh, the Purchase Treaty of Florida. Of, uh, yeah, Purchase Some of, of the Treaty Oregon of Coast actually he'll, yeah, the, he'll buy as well. Yep. The mm-hmm. Oregon Coast You know that he negotiated with the British. And he was very effective. But when he becomes the executive, you know, the 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 president – he just doesn't have that gravitas that's, to make deals happen.
0: I was gonna say it's something about like that it factor. Yeah, Washington had it, Jefferson had it, Roosevelt has it. But gravitas, we use that word a lot. I like that word. And he didn't carry himself like a leader would. He didn't have that commanding presence of grabbing a, a lectern and speaking. Maybe that's what it was. I'm that's not really true. sure. It doesn't light up a room when he walks in. No, yeah, not at all. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of dull. Um, He is intellectually brilliant, doesn't communicate that well with a common man. He's not a Washington. He's not going to grab the attention of the people. But they say he was one of the most fittest presidents. Yeah. I understand that he would
1: walk over three miles a day. And during his presidency would swim in the Potomac. Yes. Which is amazing to me. Yes. Uh, That you, anybody would swim in the Potomac. (laughs) (laughs) But you got to give – I mean – Again, uh, the, the unique characteristics of each of our presidents has, mm. has been, uh, you know, appropriate for the time in most cases, at least up to this point. Yeah. Oh, and um, when you look at his, his, um, his presidency and from day one in presidency, uh, Andrew Jackson was determined yeah. to defeat him.
0: And Jackson was a hard enemy to have. I mean, yeah. Jackson is a hard military man. And when he came after you— he came after you, and Adams. By the way, uh, you know this as well. Is one that's interesting is he and his father are the only two one-term presidents up until this point? That's exactly right. So they share this
1: in common. Yeah, and 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 when he gets when he's president, his father. Passes away on July 4th. That's right. With Thomas Jefferson. That's That's right. uh, It's just, there's just so much intertwined
0: there. Yeah. And I believe, I believe it was McCullough who made the statement that when he is elected president, that his father actually wept because he realized the trouble that came with that office, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, to be president of the United States of America, all of the drama, all the politics, all of the issues, all of the war, all of the decisions that you'll make for life and death. And his father actually, he was proud of me. He also, he wept knowing what he would go through, um, I think that's interesting. It
1: is interesting, but you also have to consider, you know, the influence of his mother, he, Abigail Adams. That's good because if we go back to when we sh- we did the the podcast on John Adams, and if it wasn't for Abigail's letters that gave us the the the, yes. the the sense of what was going on, the history that she preserved in those letters, that had to have an influence on John Quincy I Adams. I totally agree. And, and 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 even though his wife was not a, an Abigail Adams, in fact, they may have been, you know, a little bit distant as as a couple, but mm. the influence of of his mother probably weighed heavy on him. Probably heavier than his father. Yes. In a lot yes. of ways. Because I think he understood the significance of the role of president. Mm. And here you have John Adams. When he's elected, he's the second president in the United mm. States. And and it's still and its maturing. And they haven't even moved to Washington, D.C. yet, right. you know. Um, and now John Quincy Adams takes on a much bigger uh, role with with probably a lot more pressure than, yes. than
0: was there when, when his father was president. That's a great draw. You know, if you think about, like, the, the kings of Israel— uh, on the southern side, a lot of them had good fathers, but depending on who their mother was, usually played a yes. role of how they how they interacted and had yeah. their faith. So maybe that's a great draw with John Quincy Adams. Not only did they have a good father, he had a really good mother. Yes, the hand that rocks the cradle right. the world. You're right. You Franklin Delano Roosevelt's mom uh, was very involved in his life in a huge way. Yes, in a huge way. Um, so he's also the only correct me if I'm wrong here because you, obviously your experience in Congress, he's the only president who does not get reelected as a right. president and then goes back to House representatives and serves in Congress. And and genius. we'll do that until he's, what, 81? He'll yeah. die on the floor. Yeah. He'll literally have a stroke while he's
1: on the floor in Congress. And, you know, I when I was in Congress, we would – of course, my staff would take uh, any visitors that came to visit us uh, as tour of the Capitol. Okay. And you, you go into what – is now called Statuary Hall which is the old house chamber mm-hmm. and they have a uh, a stone or a, a granite where his, where his desk was placed wow and they do this the acoustics back then were so good mm-hmm. that that John Adams uh, John Quincy Adams would feign uh, napping at his desk i read this and 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 with his with his with his head down and the acoustics were so good he could hear what other people were talking about yes. and learn what their strategies were in debates and things of that yes. nature it's, it's fascinating and and in fact, that's what they do. When they go into the Capitol, they'll stand on one side of Statuary Hall and have the group stand on the other side and they'll whisper and you can actually hear it. You can you yes. can experience the, the phenomenal acoustics that were there. But then also uh, back then the speaker's uh, office was off to the back and that's where they took John Quincy Adams when he had his mm. stroke and, and then subsequently passed away. But that is amazing when you figure here you are, you've been president for four years, you've lost (laughs) re-election, go home you know, and and write your memoirs and Mm -hmm. leave us alone. No, Mm -hmm. I'm coming back to Congress and for 18 years I'm going to haunt you in Congress because this is the way this nation needs to be run. That to me is the passion of a leader who believes in the the divine design if you will, to borrow Dr. Engel's uh, phrase, of the United States that we had to have leaders that knew and were committed to give the rest of their life to making sure this country which was still in its infancy, was in the direction that was intended by the founding
0: fathers. And the humility to be able to step down from the executive office of president and then come back and work as as a congressman. like The the humility that he had was huge. I agree. The
1: responsibility that you have as president, and now here you are, one back of, I don't know how many there were, a hundred and some back then. He's serving for, what, Massachusetts? Massachusetts, yeah. yeah. yeah he served and Massachusetts. previously, he had served in the U.S. Senate. That is correct. He lost his first race for the United States Congress. Yes. And then the Massachusetts legislature appoints him to the U.S. Senate, where he serves for five years, I think mm-hmm. until 1808 or, or something, uh, and and then <laughs> and then leaves early. But Yes. Uh, and he comes back to it. I mean— But but his whole life was wrapped up.
0: In In public service. Yes. That's the way he saw it was public. He was called um, old man eloquent. Yes. As he served because of the eloquence of his speech, which I find really interesting. And I would say, I would dare say that he had a greater impact in Congress than he did as president. I agree. If you look at what he was able to do in Congress. And he was a strong abolitionist. I'm glad that you brought that up. That was one of the areas I was going to go, of course, the, the the case of the Amistad, right? Yes. One of the most famous, famous areas where he he does, and for those of you who are not familiar, the Amistad is a ship that yep. kidnaps Africans because it's illegal to still sell with America at this point. Slavery isn't outlawed, but it has to be domestic slavery. It can't be slavery from Africa. Right. So the ship, the Amistad, kidnaps Africans, and they take them down to Cuba, which, I mean, you know, 60 miles off the Floridian Coast. And they're trying to sell them in Havana. However, there's a mutiny or really just a rescue. I mean, we'll use the term rescue. It's not a mutiny. And these Africans, they, they, they break free. They kill the entire crew. They leave two alive. They want to bring them back to Africa, right? It's like an action movie waiting to be written. Right. The two that help them sail bring them up to the New England coast. And they end up running ashore around, like, I believe it's Connecticut. I, uh, um, yeah. And uh, there's a U.S. Uh, schooner there, there. There's a naval vessel. They, they arrest him. They bring him in. And now it keeps getting pushed around. The Supreme Court has to decide what to do. And this is what's amazing about yes. the
1: Supreme Court, yes, because of their decision in this case. Yes. I mean, here they are. These, these African uh, uh, soon-to-be slaves, if they stay in the United yes. States, are, are are petitioning for their freedom yes. because they're not a, a domestic uh you know slaves at the time no, they but were kidnapped they were kidnapped and the supreme <clears throat> court comes back in their favor yes with john quincy adams as the lead litigator yeah. in this which is an amazing legacy. Yes, to live. they
0: did a movie of this uh, years ago. And I believe Anthony Hopkins really? plays yeah John Quincy Adams, and it's a lot of his litigation style as he spoke in front of the Supreme Court for the Amistad. Um, you know, I, I, and you
1: got to go back again to his father who who was defended the uh, the British soldiers in mm-hmm. the Boston Massacre, much to the disappointment of a lot of the Patriots who didn't want to see that happen. Especially
0: people like Patrick Henry, who yeah. was so radical. Yeah,
1: and mm-hmm. and why are you doing? It? But but he did it for the preservation of, of, of the sanctity of the law. Yeah, they believe in the law above all else. Yes, the due process mm-hmm. is foremost, and 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 it and it passes through to the son, especially in this particular case, mm-hmm. because he non, he understands. Yes, he is a staunch abolitionist, mm-hmm. uh, as is Massachusetts. Massachusetts is a free right. state, mm-hmm. but he, he, I think he sees this as probably one of the foremost uh, legacies that he can live. Yes, leave, yes, is, is, is to make sure that he does his part to remove slavery as a as a. Terrible
0: stain on the yes. history of America. Agreed. Yeah, and then 33 men, that's all that's left alive after the jailing and the mutinies and all wow. this. 33 men are freed under John Quincy Adams and actually sent back to Sierra Leone, which is where they're from. Yeah. And they go back. I mean, just an amazing, amazing story. And John Quincy Adams was one of the the, the key players um, that actually made that happen. Wow. Well, he was a fascinating uh, president.
1: Again, you, you wonder if he would have served – because – this is where partisan pol- he became very upset about partisan politics. Yes, he did, and he realized that that he had to spend his whole presidency defending his initial election. Yes, and 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 now we see that as a matter of course in all mm, our presidential elections. Yes, you know once you're elected, by golly, you didn't get there right. In fact, in fact, I believe it was Andrew Jackson who mm-hmm. asserted that the election was stolen. That's correct you know that that, that, <laughs> that kind of
0: rings true of the yeah. last several elections of and, and, on both sides of so of,
1: none of this is new no. but how we handle it is what's yes. really important yes and and how we survive it yes and and we were able to survive that which worked out very well uh, if you if you're an Andrew Jackson fan, <laughs> you know, but but it's all the course of history that we've that we, we need to learn and know about. Yes. Because again, as we've talked about every one of these presidents up to this point, and as we will hereafter, they are all full of fall flaws, Absolutely. full of faults. They're, they're not, mortals. Yes, they're like us. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and but yet. At times, they rise to the occasion mm. when we desperately need them. And John Quincy Adams came about at the right time in the history of this nation. Yes. Again, when you look back at his his significant involvement in so many areas of foreign policy, yes, it it, it and, yes, you know, and, and and at a time when he was not only a, uh, a, a, a fan of uh, George Washington, but he believed in the isolationism, That's I mean, right? He, and and in, you know, and then as time progressed, he
0: realized, uh oh. You know, this may not work. This may not work. I wrote this quote down going off of that because I think he is the the bridge that kind of leads isolationism and goes to this the birth of globalism. Not really there yet. But he said this, America goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom of independence of all. That is a cool quote. We aren't going to conquer. We aren't going to look for monsters. We're just trying to make sure that everyone gets a fair shake at freedom. And isn't that something? It is. And it, it, it redefines it, the way that maybe we view some of our international wars. It wasn't we were going to conquer. We were literally trying to bring freedom to areas.
1: And, and I think we've lost that sense of objectivity. Yes. I think that, that we have sp- spoiled, our, spoiled our own minds by yeah. waiting to be told how to think. <laughs> and, and, and I think that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a sickness that we have to individually work on so that we can I mean. excel in our own individual process of yes. thought. Yes. And 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 these guys, they, they, the, back then, they 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 were rugged, but mm. they were again, craving knowledge. Yes. And, and, and and pursued it, and because of that, their their ability to reason was phenomenal. Yes, and 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 to
0: do so in an objective fashion. And I like where you're going with it, because I think in partisan politics, the way it is now, if you're on the far right or the far left, you're told to follow the party line and never give it a second thought. And that's not what these men believed in. These men believed in the fact of thinking independently for themselves and actually coming up with good critical thought process. And we need that again. And we don't have that right now. Um, Another thing about the Amistad case that was really interesting is that Martin Van Buren, who's the president at the time, he wants to send all the slaves back to Cuba because he wants some political capital with Spain at the time. And John Quincy Adams is like, we're not going to do that. I don't really care about politics. We're going to do the right thing. And I like that about him. I would
1: love to see that more often today. No, it would not be the case. It's a it's it's it, it's it's the course that I think people want to see taken, but it's the course that is so hard to pursue because of the resistance mm. and the internal fortitude that it takes.
0: And I think one of the reasons too is because you can't uh, quantify those numbers for a a campaign, right? You and I' talked a lot about campaigning lately. And this idea of just saying, I'm going to stand for what's right, I'm going to do the right thing. How do you quantify that for a campaign? Like it's not something that we use. Now everything's data, everything's laying things out. You know, well put there, because I think that that, that if you if you put your your campaign uh, at
1: risk, if you put it on the line, if, if you're willing to do that, no matter the result, you will have your opportunity to prevail on what you believe your principles have driven you I to. I like that. And I think that's where John Quincy Adams lives his life, because yes. even though he lost his presidential run for reelection, mm. he comes back to the House of Representatives and has even more significant role yes. in the development of this nation. And and I mean, there there's just positive lesson to be learned I like from that. there. You know, uh, it could have been very easily for him to go back and, and just be relegated mm. to the farm in, in Massachusetts. But he understood why he was there and for those I think that are genuine leaders they will put their election or reelection at risk in order to accomplish the objectives that they know are important instead of just saying hey I just want
0: to get reelected. I like that. Yeah, because John Quincy Adams could have spent those four years crafting a reelection campaign, which is what we see a lot of times now. Is the first four years, the first t- term, is just crafting a reelection campaign. I mean, I've even heard commentators, political commentators, make the statement that you don't really do anything your first four years. You're just trying to get reelected, and then yeah. you bring your real change your last four years. That's there's a lot of truth to that. As a
1: lame duck, you know, you you've got less to worry about in terms of raising campaign capital. You yeah. don't have
0: to go out and,
1: and and placate your base. Yes. You know, you got four years to you know impose the policy. That you firmly
0: believe. You show in. your true colors a lot of times your second term. Yes. But yes. when did that even switch off? Why don't we begin to show who we are as people of character at the very beginning? Why do we wait until like we're safe and then oh this is who I really am?
1: I think because so many are vested in, in in that first election, mm. and 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 I think that you know we see it happen in executive orders after a president is elected, mm-hmm. and inaugurated. The first thing they do is a you know a plethora of executive orders mm-hmm. to, that 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 tries to. Placate some of their base and yes. and, and, and create a message that for, furthers their campaign and not only the campaign they just won, but the next one they have to go into. So yes. it, it is the process that we know. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think it's healthy. No. But, but um, you know, we as the public, we as the electorate, uh, as, the consumers, as the consumers, we could demand otherwise Absolutely. and change the course of this
0: nation. Absolutely. But we have to think critically. Yes. That's what it
1: comes down to. And allow ourselves to independently think.
0: Yes. So I want to talk about his faith a little bit because uh, John Quincy Adams is a man of immense faith. Yes. Um, you know, some of these spreads we come to, they're not, they're not very outspoken in their faith. John Quincy Adams is very outspoken in his faith. Um, one of my favorite quotes he said, I, I, want, I want to read this to you. There are three points of doctrine, the belief of which forms the foundation of all morality— the first is the existence of the existence of God. The mm-hmm. second is the immortality of the human soul. And the third is the future state of rewards and punishment. Suppose it possible for a man to disbelieve either or all three of these articles of faith. That man will have no conscience. Amen. He just kind of lays out the idea of like basic orthodoxy. And he says, you have to believe there is a God. You have to believe that man is eternal and you have to believe there is a reward and punishment system at the end of life. And he says, if you discount any of that, you don't even have a conscience anymore.
1: That's frightening. Isn't it? Because there are a lot of people that are wanting to discount every bit of that. Yes. And not see that in their leaders. No. Which means we have an unconscionable leader yes.
0: that they're seeking to have. Yes. And if you remember as we've been going through this, one of the things we see throughout these early founding fathers is this overwhelming sense of accountability in their life, right? Washington right. had on his, his coffin, rise to judgment. It's one of the things that put on his, his coffin, like praise to God, but rise to judgment. Right. There was always this idea in the back of their mind they were accountable to someone higher than them, and that was going to come at the end of their life. And I think that kept them honest and full, filled with integrity in this power position. But if you honestly believe that you don't have anyone you're accountable to, then you can do whatever in the heck you want to do when you're reigning. And, you know, I
1: believe it was his father who commented on the Constitution saying that it was made for a virtuous people. That's right. And, and, That's right. And, and it still holds true today. And, and, you know, our virtue is instilled through our, our faith. Yes. And and we can't lose sight of that. I yes. Mean, it, is, it is the probably most necessary fabric that weaves us together as a nation— and and as and as individuals yes Agreed.
0: He was also a great explorer. Um, As as you know from your time in D.C., he is one of the founders of the Smithsonian. Yes. Um, He leads the Smithsonian being built. And one of the things I found really interesting, I was just really diving into his letters and some of his his things, is he actually invested during his presidency in the research of a man by the name of John Clive Sims. Now, Sims believed, you got to get this, it shows you how far we've come. Sims believed the earth was hollow. Huh. And he believed that there was actually land to buy and to propagate inside the earth. Interesting. And he believed that these entrance points were at the North and South Pole. Of course. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> why not? <laughs> right? I mean, let's go with it. So, actually, um, John Quincy Adams finances this during his presidency for him to actually take a voyage. Did not know that. Yes, to the poles to try to find the inner, what they call the hollow earth that he was going to basically take for America, right? Like, if we're buying up land, let's buy the middle of the earth, oh, too. Oh, let's get the basement. Yeah, why not, right? <laughs> Maybe it's a basement sale, basement prices. And um, actually, the only reason why this, this voyage doesn't happen is because when Jackson comes to power, he just scraps everything that Adams ever did and The Voyage is scrapped. And obviously, wow. you know, now we realize how dumb that really is. That, yeah. you know, Jules Verne actually, of course, writes Journey to the Center of the Earth 50 years yep. later. Yep. And some of this was off of the research. It's fictional by that point, but it's off of the research of Sims, I actually. I had no idea about yeah, that. that's your, like, weird history fact for, for the day. Yeah, so. But John Quincy Adams, man uh, uh, who loves science, the man who was a man of deep faith. I want to I close with this quote. You tell me your thoughts on this. The highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of
1: Christianity. I think that is not only profound, but deeply factual. Yes. And here's a man that saw the Battle of Bunker Hill Mm. from his home at age 10. Yes. He was deeply involved in the Revolutionary War, not as a soldier, uh, but as a young citizen. Mm. And I think that as a man who, as you pointed out, was very strong in his faith, understands the connection and the need for the connection between a civil nation and uh, a deep-seated faith in, 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 a, in a creator mm. and, and, and an afterlife. Mm. Um, as you pointed out, I think he got it very well. Yeah. And, and again, and in order to balance you know the separation of church and state, he, he did an exceptional job yes. in doing that.
0: And I think probably because of his faith, because of his belief that all men were created equal and all men had a soul that would live on forever, I think it's one of the things that drove him so hard in his cause of abolitionism. He wanted yes. to see people free. He wanted yes. to see people who were created in the image of God have the ability to live free because he knew he'd spend eternity with them. They, Amen they, to that. Their soul is immortal. And I think that's what led well to his put. belief. Yeah. For sure. This has been John Quincy Adams. And next week we actually next will week, go yes, <laughs> on Andrew Jackson. Uh, man, what? What a, what a hard man he was. <laughs> what a military man. What a populist. What a populist. So <laughs> looking forward to next week. Thank you. Thank you.